We are going to be studying the book of Hebrews, and uh, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to spend some time, if this is your church home and church family, to, to read through it, absorb it. We'll be going through it for the better portion of this year, and I believe that it is a timely uh, study, a way for God to speak to us uh, for the times that we live in. And as you're turning there, I suppose I could set the table or kind of open your minds as to why I believe that by asking you a question that I think is usually reserved for next month as we uh, set out into a new year. It's January, so no doubt you might have some new objectives, some goals, maybe some resolutions. And typically, I think it's good etiquette to at least wait as the preacher until February to, to expose those as oftentimes uh, things that didn't work out. But for the purposes of, of where we're going, it's worth pointing out um, or asking you, how many of you are like me, that in only one week since January 1st, uh, I am already struggling? I, uh, I, you, you don't have to know me too well before you find out I have a bit of a sweet tooth, so I kind of presented that once again in the new year, and last night as I was on my third piece of wedding cake, I realized there are always exceptions that you can talk yourself into allowing to, to, to make a commitment something that you're less committed to. And that is a very small picture of not just a New Year's resolution, but a condition of the human heart. Whatever it is we commit to, the commitments will be challenged by a unfamiliarity or a new way of thinking or a challenge that was unforeseen. And oftentimes there is a desire to go back where you came from or to just go back to the old because you know the old. It's familiar and it's easy and it's what you do. And that is in the depth of your heart, the truest challenge that you have in following Christ. Every single one of us have a relationship with Christ that has something behind us that he has taken us from that is the old way. And we live in a time where the challenge of our times, maybe now more than ever, is whether or not a commitment to Christ is something that will endure. We live in a generation where this seems to be a predominant question and unfortunately trend that many people have looked at Christ, examined Christ, committed to Christ, grown up in Christ, and are now deciding that there may be a different way. In fact, there are probably some of you here right now that are committing to church like you would commit to a gym. And you may not be here next year this time, but by the grace of God. And what might happen as you have viewed Christ and committed to him in a new way in a new year is that your faith will be challenged. The, the more you commit to Christ, the more he takes you down the narrow and difficult way. And the more you will look unfamiliar to the world around you. And the more you will be tempted to go back to what you know. And I say all of that, one, so that we would understand the times we live in, and we would also know how the book of Hebrews is offering the solution to that problem. That is, in fact, the tension that is being exhorted through as you study this letter. 
So the context now will not be one-to-one for most of you because as the title of the book states, it's written to a Hebrew audience. And it's written to an audience in a church age, the very beginning of what we're now celebrating, standing on the foundation of, where after about 30 years of uh, mostly Christians being built on the Jewish foundation and the, the scriptures, most of, Jew, of the early Christian preaching was looking at old Hebrew prophecy. And most of the early movement was Jewish believers who accepted Christ as Messiah, but the tension is growing. At this point in the stage of the movement, there's all sorts of things that has made it very difficult to be both Jewish and follow Jesus. And you see that just in reading the New Testament. In reading the New Testament, you'll get introduced very early on in the book of Acts to a man named Saul. He changes his name to Paul. And he had a vendetta as a Jewish person who wanted to stick to tradition and he wanted to stick to the, the, the patience of waiting for the Messiah he had a vendetta against this new sect of Christians. So there was tension that we, we can just read about that these people may have been feeling. We also see also in the New Testament, in the writings now of Paul, you'll read much of the, the letters to the early church were dealing with a question that had come up between Jewish believers, Gentile converts into the faith as to how Jewish you had to be to be a follower of Jesus. How much of the traditions and feasts and requirements of a, the Jewish believer did the Gentiles have to experience? So there was a, a tension that some Jewish believers were feeling as they were getting uh, pulled into the argument. And for those of you who are with us from the last fall, we studied First Peter. Peter was addressing another tension that had come up in a similar time frame for believers, many of them Jewish, that were living in the Roman Empire. And as the Roman Empire got uh, more time and understanding, although it was very a confused understanding, the more they understood Christianity, the more re- they realized it was different than Judaism, and they were persecuting specifically Christians. So uh, relate to them if you can. There's tension within, there's a pressure from the outside, and they did not fit in, and the temptation was just go back to what you know you may not relate to that one-to-one storyline, but certainly there will be tension from within and there will be pressure from without and Christ will call you to a path in following him that will tempt all of us to go back to what you know. And so we'll study the book of Hebrews to understand how that gets answered. And in doing so, I'll encourage you who have started a a Bible uh, reading plan that starts in the Old Testament, it will be good to have a a relationship with the Old Testament if you don't already. I encourage you to because the Hebrew uh, letter is going to assume so much of the Old Testament story. The reason for that is because the main argument that this letter is going to make that is timely for us is whatever you are tempted to leave Jesus to follow Jesus is better. And throughout the letter, you will find the, the argument unfold by highlighting something that would be part of an old tradition or is part of the foundation that Christ is built upon that some people may uh, leave Christ to go back to. And the author is going to say, Jesus is greater than that. 
And we're going to get it right into it uh, in our introductory uh, sermon. We're going to find the author saying, consider the prophets. Jesus is better. So uh, as we go through this, one of the main applications for all of our time in the book of Hebrews this year will continually be to exalt Christ above anything else. So it's such a beautiful song that we just sang. Christ is the cornerstone and Christ alone is the source of our hope and salvation and righteousness. That's going to be a theme that continually comes up. And it will be an application that will continually bless our church and our lives in following Christ because one of the great temptations is to uh, lose our high view of Christ as though he fits in anywhere else in the culture or in our lives. As we do this, the key word throughout all this will be better. The word better comes up 11 times in your reading of Hebrews. The word superior, so a synonym, will come up four times. The word greater will come up seven times as the case over and over again is going to take Jesus and compare him to something else. And we'll start with the prophets. So read along with me. Hebrews chapter one, Jesus is better than the prophets. Verse one, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. In this introduction to the letter, there are some things that you'll notice are not there, and I won't spend a lot of time on it. Uh, This does not start as your typical epistle from an apostle to a church. This is author unknown. And so as you try to find the answer to who wrote the book of Hebrews, you'll find scholars and pastors and theologians giving their best guess. um, And it is, in fact, their best guess. No one knows who wrote it. And it doesn't specify exactly who it's to. But I think it's a beautiful introduction because it says in the very first word, God. This letter is about God's plan to reach people. And it starts with God's plan to speak to people, which is certainly a question for all time, our time not excluded. How does God speak? How can you understand who God is? How do we get revelation as to the will of God and the plan of God? And the author is going to say, well, you may be tempted to look at how he used to speak. God used to speak at various times in the past to the fathers by prophets. The fathers were the patriarchs or the the believers of old. And there was a time in God's communication to humanity where he would raise up voice messengers And he would give them all sorts of methods by which to hear his voice to relay a message. And the methods varied. Some of them were unique to one specific time. Of course, you probably have heard of Moses and the burning bush. Uh, We studied in our time of Advent how God at times would send messengers from heaven called angels who would relay a message. There were times where he gave divine revelation through dreams or visions. Methods could change. 
Uh, if you're someone who has wrestled with the idea of God and said, I, I just wish there was a burning bush and then I would listen, uh, that is no longer how God speaks. He's making it clear. The message was oftentimes very much a predictable message that came in categories by the prophets. Typically, the prophets would raise up to give a revelation of who God was. Where did these people come from? The creator God who made the heavens of the earth was oftentimes the introduction to the message. And then there were ways that God spoke through prophets that are very important for his people to understand about being in good standing with him. Oftentimes, the message was a message of repentance. If you don't change your life, you are going to be at odds with God. And with a message of repentance often came a message of caution or warning. And if you don't change, beware. Your life and your country and the time that you live in will not go well. And there were also messages of hope lest the, the, the prophets only bring a, a, a message of bad news for the God who has great good news coming, there were times where the message would, they'd raise up and say, repent and turn and God will cleanse you and God will purify you and God will welcome you back. One of the challenges of reading the book of Hebrews and receiving it for yourself will be to make the uh, context clear, but also apply it to your life. So let me just say this you probably won't be tempted to reject Jesus and only cling to Moses and Elijah. But you may be tempted to reject Jesus and cling to messengers of the day. And no doubt there are messengers in all times that will raise up and have similar messages to how you may be able to find what you're looking for out of life. Uh, you need to re repent, you need to cleanse your life, and you need to do a certain thing to find blessing. There are all sorts of people outside of even a religious circle that will tell you what you shouldn't do, how to make it right, and where you should go. We, we live in a world where it seems as though we have thousands of voices that could fulfill that identification as a messenger in the world of influencer and celebrity and actor and activist and people who are saying, it's no longer good to do this, you should now do this. But the book of Hebrews says, God now has made it very clear how he speaks. You do not have to look for the prophet of your day. That does not mean the gift of prophecy isn't real. But what we live in in these last days is a time where God has revealed his plan. He says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. If you want to know the plan of God in ways the prophets could only point to and wait for and speak in small measure of, we now have a fullness of the message in Christ. We now know how God's plan to redeem his people works. It is not your righteousness, it's the righteousness of Christ. We now know who God's people are. It is not one nation. It is all who believe that God so loved the world that he sent his son. We now know where forgiveness is. It is not through animal sacrifice. It is now seen in the cross of Christ where he made the payment in full. 
We now know where our hope is. It is not in a political revival. It is in a brand new kingdom that is being prepared by Christ as we speak. So all of the questions of the plans of God are seen visible in Christ. And with that comes questions for your own life. We now know who the Lord of Lords is. We now know who the Savior of the world is. The message is now all fulfilled in Christ. And this is the stage that is being set. It's prophets versus Christ. For the next few verses that we look at, in ways that preaching really can do no justice. So uh, I encourage you to read and think about what is being stated through the word today. We will have reasons why Christ is greater than the prophets. So read along with me. First reason. Verse one. He has in these days last in these last days spoken to us by his son, verse 2, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. He used to speak through the prophets. Now we have the son. And through the son, he is appointed heir of all things. And through the son, he also has made the worlds. I hope as you even listen to that passage of scripture read, you understand how majestic and glorious and exalted Christ is compared to anyone who has ever come onto the scene to speak on behalf of God. I'm so grateful we're studying this as we, and we just celebrated the, the human nature of Christ born in a manger. We now celebrate the incredible majesty of Christ, that he is the heir of all things. Which means at the end of the timeline of God's plan for humanity, there will be Christ coming on the clouds to receive everything that is being prepared. The bride will go to the bridegroom. He will be the king and we will be in his kingdom. It all ends with Christ. And then it also says, through whom the worlds were made. This is a good Reflection of a verse that may have come up during our Christmas season. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And nothing that was made was made without him. He was in the beginning. In Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth, Christ is the Word of creation. He is the agent by everything by which everything was made. So now we compare him to the prophets. He's in the beginning at creation. He's at the end of all things. Christ is, as it will say later in Hebrews, the author and the finisher of the faith. As it says in Revelations, he is the alpha, the beginning. He is the omega, the end. He is the one who was and is and is to come, the almighty. And a prophet a messenger apart from Christ, all of them live within a very specific timeline of history. Christ is superior in history. And we see that in the prophecies leading up to Christ, that they all spoke into the times which they lived in with the revelation that they understood. And now we speak that as as an exhortation into our day. There are a lot of voices that you can listen to that may be a temptation to have a bigger weight or an impact in your life than the word of God revealed in Christ. There are your favorite 
celebrities, influencers, actors, and activists, as stated. There, there are the Andrew Tates and the Taylor Swifts. And there are all of the ones that the culture has looked at as a voice of the time. But here is a great reminder for all of us. They live within their time. They are a product of their time and they will die in time. And one of the gospel good news messages for all of us who are looking to Christ and not the other prophets or a warning if you are looking at another messenger, you are going to be tossed to and fro with the winds of doctrines because one thing, just a, a, a minor glance at history will teach you, is whatever the message is, is soon to be expired apart from the truth of Christ. Whatever people were hanging their hat on in the world of academia and culture and social etiquette 50 years ago is laughable now in the eyes of our culture. And it's happening much faster in the days that we live in. This is why there are oftentimes influencers that will rise up and then they're canceled and replaced because their message is outdated and it's becoming outdated very quickly. But there is a messenger that is the way, and the truth. He is not making a comment on the times he lives in. The prophets were messengers. Christ is the message. And whatever we are tempted to leave Christ for, it is a temptation to leave the eternal word of God for the temporal word of man. Christ is greater than the prophets. He goes on to say, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. This is beginning to look like a professional competition between someone that is highly skilled and a beginner. This is, this is like if, if my kids had to ice skate against an Olympic skater. Christ is so exalted. He is the Alpha, the Omega in time. And then it says that he is the brightness of the glory of God. He himself, the nature of God. Other translations say he's the radiance of the glory of God. Uh, the, the word that we often use when talking about the glory of God is used here. He is the Shekinah of God. And what is that getting at? The, the glory of God is Christ. He is not a reflection. It is not something that he is trying to experience and then share. Contrast that with a story we find in Exodus chapter 34. Moses goes to the top of Sinai to meet and dwell in the presence of God. And it might be the... the human on earth that gets the closest to the presence of God throughout all history. He comes down from the mountain and his face is glowing the radiance. Because he spent so much time in the presence of God, the presence of God was radiating from his face. It's like he had an extreme suntan, but it was the glory of God. He comes down, the people are afraid because they don't know what to make of it. So he wears a veil and he only removes the veil when he goes back to the presence of God. Moses was reflecting a glorious experience with God. 
a word of encouragement. I hope that we can reflect glorious experiences with the presence of God. Moses was not the presence of God. It says that Christ himself is the radiance. He is himself the glory, the shining of God into the darkness of our world. And then it says that he is the express image of his person. This is to say that Christ is divine. That Christ has the divine nature in himself. When speaking of the prophets, James gives us another word of encouragement, by the way, because I think sometimes in our view of the prophets, we elevate them as heroes of the faith that have a special relationship with God. And we're somewhere on 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 the ladder of faith below the prophets in pursuit of Christ. But James says, Elijah was a man who had a nature just like ours. He prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain for three years. And then he prayed again and it did rain. Meaning he had the ability to move according to the will of God through prayer. But Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, had a nature just like you and me. Christ has a nature that is the nature of God. And then he says he's upholding all things by the word of his power. Consider it. All things, creation, timeline of God, God's plan for redemption, salvation, the coming together of the kingdom of God are upheld by the word of the power of Christ. And so now we have another moment of encouragement because one of the themes you may find in the messengers and the prophets that have risen up as the non-godly voice of our day is that there is nothing holding the worlds together. There is no word of power. There is a random universe and the world, lest humans become the savior of it, is going to drown at the melting of the ice caps it's going to explode because of a meteor. It's going to be a, the death of a nuclear holocaust. The human population is going to overpopulate into famine or underpopulate into extinction. This is the message that does not have a view of he who holds all things together. But be encouraged as we set out in the new year for the headline news of the messengers, you just got a reminder that the world is not going to end unless Christ says so. The world does not end by flood. You see a rainbow in the sky and you're reminded of that. The world does not end by any other ending lest Christ come on the clouds and gather his kingdom. So it's, it's a bit of encouragement, and I can encourage you even further to say, if God can hold the world together, I think he can hold your life together. <laughs> As you consider all of the headline news that comes not from the internet, but comes from your own mind. Christ holds it all together. He is the alpha, the omega. He is the atomic glue that keeps this whole thing marching towards God's perfect will for the universe and your life. And then finally, it says in the end of verse 3, when, we had, when he had by himself 
purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. One very easy way to get a visualization of Christ is through the cross. In the timeline of history, he is the very beginning and is the end. He goes all the way from left to right. And in the timeline of the vertical view from God to humanity, there is no prophet that takes a lower seat. He goes to the cross to purge sin. And from the cross, he is exalted to the right hand of God. He is as low as you can possibly go. He is as high as you can possibly go. That is the view of Christ. And the good news, as you consider the fork in the road that awaits all of you for your faith and your endurance unto the end with Christ, one of the temptations will be to find some sort of cleansing for your life. This is not a church problem. This is a human problem. How do you solve the guilt and the shame and the hurt and the pain that is your sin and other sin put on you? And once again, we, we view the prophets. The prophets certainly had messages about sin. There was the message of Jeremiah that wept over sin. Just the heartbreak, the, the, the mourning over sin. There was the, the message of Isaiah that gave a view of someone who would come in some distant day. Ezekiel had a message of repentance Daniel had a vision of when that might happen. But none of them had the ability to take the sin of the people and remove it from them. And it's true of our day. There is nowhere you can go in this world. There is no therapist couch that you can sit on. There is no self-help book that someone wrote on your behalf. There is no counselor's 12 steps Apart from Christ, Christ alone, the cornerstone of faith, salvation, forgiveness of sins, and nothing else will ever purge you. And yet, in Christ, we have not just the messenger, we have the message. Because the gospel good news revealed in Christ says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old sin has passed away. It has been dealt with on vision the cross of Christ. And the same spirit that was in Christ, raising him from the grave, is now available for all who confess him as Lord and Savior of their life. This is a purging of sin. This is not just an acknowledgement of sin. Repentance and weeping and the, the vision of Christ all have to happen. The word will give you all of that and it is all fulfilled in Christ. And then it says he sits down at the right hand. That is both position of Christ. It is also power of Christ to complete the work. As we celebrate communion, we celebrate Christ sitting at the right hand. There is nothing in this sanctuary that is not part of the finished sit down at the right hand of God work that Christ completed in the purging of sin. It's finished. You're forgiven. There's no condemnation in Christ. So this is the exaltation of Christ. We honor the past, the prophets that came before him, but Christ is greater. So the main takeaway, two, don't leave the greater for the lesser. Don't leave Christ 
for some temporary message of our time. And the second message is so important. Who do you listen to? The message today is it's mindful of a moment where Christ's glory was on display on earth as a preview to some of the disciples on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John got a preview of what we are envisioning by the glory and revelation of God in Christ that he is exalted above all names. And they see him transform with a robes of white that no launderer on earth could have made. This was a spiritual transformation in their eyes. And do you remember their first response? It's a temptation that is being cleansed in us. Peter says, it's good that we see you like this. Let us build some tabernacles, a place of dwelling. Let's just stay on the mountain, the mountaintop experience. And who was the dwelling for? Elijah, Jesus, and Moses. Jesus was getting, in their mind, honor. He was with the greats. And a cloud comes over the whole scene. A voice from heaven, the Father anointing the Son, says, this is my Son. Listen to him. And as they looked up, they saw only Jesus. This is a scene that is real, moment of history in the Gospels. And this is a moment that God needs to have with every single person. The people you have once listened to, the the people you may honor on equal level with Christ, the voices that were once messengers that pointed you or got you close. It is Christ and Christ alone. God says, this is my son. Listen to him. Christ is the greatest messenger, the message fulfilled all in him.